Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. In in this last year, I found out that I was not the only person that this guy was doing this with. Um, There were other girls in my grade that were even a little bit younger than me that Mm. he was doing this with. Um, And he went to West Coast. Um, He went and he, you know, he's married, he has kids now, and he currently works for that same school. He he teaches at the school that that all happened. So they're fully aware of what he's done. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm so excited to have Ashley join me on the show today. Ashley, can you just share a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to the audience? Um, yeah, so um, when I was a little kid, um, I was about seven years old. Uh, my dad took us to an independent fundamental Baptist church. Um, we're, we're out of uh, like the Maryland area. Okay. Um, and we just, uh, we kind of just started going and never stopped going, um, till later on in life, but you know, that's kind of how we started. Right. Would you say that your initial experience, cause you were obviously very young, so it's all, you know, <laughs> at that point, but would you say your initial experiences felt positive at the time? Yeah. Um, we were in, you know, like the kids church, you know, we were in Sunday school. We were pretty like the Sunday morning, Wednesday night kind of folks. Like we didn't go to Sunday night quite yet, but, um, yeah, I would say it was overall very positive. Um, my dad, he was, um, a single dad at the time. And so, I think he really wanted like a positive outlet for uh, my brother and I that he was solely taken care of by himself. I give him a lot of credit for that. Mm. And um, it, not that it was easy, but it was, I think it was a way for him to keep us on the right track, so to speak, when he didn't really have like that extra hand that he was used to having. Um, So I think that that's kind of 
why we started going back to or why he went back to church and then brought us with him. So yeah. Yeah, I think looking at it from an idealistic perspective, I think that's like one of the big benefits that I am thankful for, you know, for a majority of my upbringing was, Mm -hmm. you know, it was excessive, the amount of things I was going to and, and I wish that in retrospect, we wouldn't have been as involved as we were. But you know, being around the same group of people, having friends that were mm-hmm. like siblings was a really cool, that's a really cool, unique experience. That I don't feel like a lot of people get, I mean, most people, they have their school friends and then they've got, you know, their home life and, you know, there's pros and cons of both, but that's one thing I did enjoy as a kid. I enjoyed hanging out with other staff kids and, you know, running right. around and, and, and enjoying just getting to be a kid. Um, so how long was it until you ever felt a feeling like, Hey, something isn't quite right here or this, or, you know, something's a little bit off with the way that we're doing things. Um, that's a loaded question. (laughs) I feel like there were like seeds of doubt. It wasn't like there was something that hit me over the head while I was in it or anything like that. Um, when I was like 12, 13 ish, um, my dad met um, my stepmom through church and um, actually her, her children, she was widowed and her children um, were all in youth group together. So like one of her kids is exactly my age. Another mm. one, I was like a year and a half apart. So it was kind of cool that we had these friends that all of a sudden truly did become family. Yeah. And we got very involved in church at that point because they were very involved. Right. Um, but I, we started getting involved in the bus ministry um, through my stepmom. And um, I thought it was positive at first, you know, overall. And then I started to get um, kind of some negative vibes about how the bus kids were treated in comparison to how the regular church kids were treated. Um, it felt like there was a distinct separation on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think especially in light of recent events with like all of the um, all of the political unrest that's happened over the summer, that kind of it, it kind of sparked a light bulb in me now that I'm an adult kind of in retrospect, like, wow, that was really messed up. Yeah. And, um, you know, some of the, the racial jokes that were made, um, it wasn't a very diverse area or well, diverse at church. Um, it is a diverse area. You know, we're right outside of Baltimore. Mm. Um, but the church itself was not very diverse. Right. Um, and my best friend actually growing up and uh, we're still, you know, thick as thieves to this day. Um, but she is, um, she's a black woman also. And so Mm. I kind of got that unique perspective, like watching her go through a lot of it too. And like the jokes that were made to her, um, that just weren't acceptable, but were accepted. So, right. That I think that's part of it, uh, like the big red flags and stuff like that. Sure. Um, did you, when you started noticing this stuff, did you vocalize it or was it something that it just, it was kind of accepted at the time? It wasn't until just recently that it was kind of like this big epiphany of like, oh, that was kind of messed up. Um, there were like, I think I would talk to my friend about it and I would say, mm-hmm. hey, like that, I, I don't know how I felt about that, but I wouldn't speak out against it. Right. Um, and, and I'm kind of, sh- and I'm shameful to say that, to be honest with yeah. you, but like, 
I, it was just normal. It was commonplace. Um, you know, the adults laughed about it. You know, the adults made the jokes. My, I mean, my parents even made jokes, you know, to, to, to this friend. And she, you know, it's almost like a fat joke. She, we talked about it later in life. It's like a fat joke. You know, you laugh along or you make the joke so someone else doesn't. Yeah. And when, when she put it into that perspective, I was just like, wow. Yeah. And, and then it kind of clicked like, wow, that like, this was really messed up. Yeah. Um. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's, it's a tricky subject. And I just posted a clip to you, um, the preacher voice page of, uh, of Jack Hiles making a, a racist joke. And, you know, there were a couple of people that are commenting and saying, well, like the guy's laughing, like it's obvious they're friends or they get along. And, you know, to some extent, I get it. And I think that there is some layer of when you have a really close friend, sometimes, you know, especially childhood friends, you make jokes with each other. There are that, certain jokes that fly that, right. that don't fly with other people. But when but, you're in a position of power, that's not acceptable. Yeah. And also, too, like you have to double check and triple check, too. Like there are mm-hmm. moments where people, like you said, they, what are you going to do? You're not going to laugh. Like you have to, you know, you're mm-hmm. putting a person in a position where they don't want to be the person to be like, Hey, that was offensive or Hey, it was this. So, right. you know, I was even running through stuff and I was like, I was thinking about like high school and I was like, man, there were so mm-hmm. many jokes where I was like, yeah, we laughed and we laughed about together, but mm-hmm. probably shouldn't have even gone there, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, I'm interested. The The bus route subject's an interesting one. And I do definitely recognize the distinct separation. Um, and for us, it wasn't so much racial. Um, it was more of the, you know, it was just a different class of person. So you had right. the worldly kids were the bus kids and the Christian kids were the staff kids, basically, mm-hmm. or the regular attendees whose parents were ushers and things like that. And, you know, it, it's just unfortunate because... I think it was put into our mind very early on that you need to be a light to these kids just in general, just to these bus kids. And I get some of that. I get the, Mm -hmm. you know, there were kids that came in whose parents were doing drugs and were, you know, and they needed someone Mm -hmm. to like love on them. But it's one of the problems I see in that world in general is just loving people with an agenda of making them like you and not just loving them for being them. patronizing. Right. And also, like, to make you feel better about yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and just on another level, too, um, this is one thing that I hadn't – it's the reason I had an issue with some of this even when I was in that movement mm-hmm. was I think there's a problem when we look at different worldviews. So we look at people coming into church who don't believe like we do. And so there's an idea of separation. I think I think it's on the parents to teach their kids how to engage with other ideas Um, And so, you know, yeah, you can teach your kid, you know, if you're a Christian and you're raising your kid as a Christian in a Christian home, I think that's fine. You know, I I think that's okay. But I also think when you get to a point where you say, I don't want you to encounter anybody who's different because it might shatter your faith, you have to address the truth of one of two things. One, your faith's not very strong if it can't engage with any other worldview Um, or two, like you're just not well equipped enough to em- engage with this kind of stuff. And you're, you're putting yourself on a pedestal above mm-hmm. other people around you. So um, yeah, I've always fascinated by that. And I know that the race thing does play in very heavily to a lot of us. Right? I mean, I mean, 
I mentioned first Baptist of Hammond, like there were a lot of people who referenced pretty heavy, um, you know, divisive sections there. So but, I will uh, say that it wasn't like, it was subliminal, like Kyle Anderson and like some of the other like, um, can't, so to speak, that you guys talk about that are very, um, very, very strict and very, very damaging. I would say that my church was on the milder end of things, but that doesn't make it any less damaging. Right. And I think that's kind of where I'm, where I'm at right now and realizing like, oh, so this is equally valid. It needs to get talked about. Right. So, right. So you're mentioning where you're at right now. I'm, I'm curious where where are you at right now and and we can kind of work backward from there okay um i'm kind of in the process of figuring out what i believe and why mm-hmm. um i'm to the point i've i've gone so far as to question is god good is the bible actually correct what is the right way um a couple of years ago maybe maybe a year or two mm, yeah, probably about two years ago, I got kind of sucked into, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, the World Society Mission Church of God. That's also considered another cult Mm -hmm. Um, by some folks. um, They believe that like, there's been a, not a, the second coming has already happened. Um, But I started to see um, a lot of similarities in like, your way or the highway kind of feeling Mm -hmm. and and everybody is there all the time and everybody does the same exact thing. And, um, and then I started uh, actually watching a, the Leah Remini Scientology um, stuff on Hulu. And I'm like, wait a minute, this all sounds way too similar. (laughs) Right. What's going on? (laughs) And um, kind of picking that apart. That's really where I'm at. Yeah. So what was that got you to this point? So kind of like rewinding a little bit into your life and, you know, no, that's fine. I wanted to jump ahead and see where you are so we can kind of like draw the lines here. And I'm curious, like, what was the, you know, you mentioned some things that were a little bit off to you, but what was the things that really started turning your wheels and saying like, you know, maybe we don't have all the answers. Maybe this isn't correct or you know, I don't know, maybe something that was so egregiously wrong that you were like, okay, something's off here. Um, I was pretty bought in. Um, I was pretty bought in from like, uh, I I would say from like my childhood years, you know, I just kind of followed along because, you know, that's, that's what we did. You know, we went to church. It really wasn't a big deal. Um, It wasn't very deep. Um, And then um, as I got to be a teenager, Teenager, um, like 13, 14, 15 years old. Um, like I said, I started getting involved with the bus ministry. Um, and into high school, I ended up going to the Christian school there as well. Um, okay. So church was pretty much our whole life. Um, and the Christian school um, was comprised of not just church members, kids, but other, uh, churches in the area sent their kids there. Um, even some non-denominational, um, kids kind of gotten in there, but they were kind of like looked at a little bit differently. Right. Um, I remember in youth group, they would talk about the state, the skater crowd church across the, across the, um, across the city, you know what I mean? Um, you know, across the road or whatever. Um, and just uh, like the judgments and, um, the focus on standards, um, you know, we weren't like cool lots quite as 
like quite there, but mm. you know, girls had to wear really baggy basketball shorts if they were going to wear, mm. you know, anything other than a skirt. And, um, the idea of just doing more and doing more and doing more, mm. um, you know, you're going Sunday and Wednesday. Why aren't you going Sunday night? No. Why aren't you going soul winning on Wednesday before or after school before youth right. group? you know, and, and then just adding on and adding on. And it was an immense amount of pressure. Mm. Um, I was starting to feel like really depressed, uh, like severely depressed around that time. Um, like 14 years old, 15 years old, Mm. really just, just having a tough time and not really having a word to put to it because I didn't understand depression. It wasn't something that was ever talked about. Mm. Um, I didn't understand anxiety. You know, I didn't have a word to put to it. Um, And so in that, I was, one thing led to another. I was a freshman in high school, I believe at this time. And I was approached by one of the older boys um, that was in my stepbrother's grade. He was a senior and I was a freshman. Um, And one thing led to another. Um, keep in mind I was 14 and he was 18 and, um, pictures got exchanged that would be considered child pornography to, um, in my adult mind now. Um, and I felt so guilty, but I continued because I felt so sad and I felt, I felt very alone at this time in my Mm. life. Um, my mom's like completely out of my life. And so I just, I just felt like the odd man out a lot yeah. um just every everybody's lives were together and our family was kind of the one that was the the odd man out so to speak right. um and so uh just kind of felt sad i don't know uh what you know 14 15 year old thoughts you know being sad whatever and uh um so i went to a youth conference you know we did all the youth events and and the youth conferences and every event i was there Mm. you know it it wasn't like um it was hey if you if you've got the money to go or whatever let's do this it was kind of expected that you went no matter what um and so we went to like a mini youth conference it was like probably a one-night deal and i sat through one of those sermons where they passed around a flower and made you feel like crap about yourself. Yeah. Um, You know, and and for anybody that's not like familiar with that, they basically pass around a flower and like by the time it's passed through all of the rows, you know, the flower looks all beat up and stuff, basically saying like your, your purity is that way. Mm. Um, And I don't know if in your church they were like this, but they really pushed accountability um and like accountability partners and like you know you you can pray with your friend and you know you need to keep yourself accountable and iron sharpens iron and and all of that stuff so um I eventually actually felt so guilty like I was felt sick to my stomach and I uh, confided in somebody um about what had happened because I just felt so lousy about like the circumstances I thought like I did the worst egregious thing in the world you know what I mean when in all reality, like, yeah, probably not a smart decision, probably not the best thing to do, but like your life will move on. But it right. felt like the end of the world at the time because yeah. of how much pressure and what I just sat through listening <laughs> to. Yeah. Um, 
sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, that, that fits in with what you're saying. I mean, it's, it's that culture of, you know, pressure. Um, mm-hmm. I, you're constantly under pressure and that's how I felt. Um, it's funny looking back and I look at my teen years and I look back at, you know, I did these stupid stuff a hundred percent, like mm-hmm. every teenager. Um, you know, I, t- <laughs> I, um, I always tell my wife, I'm like, I feel like especially teenage guys should be like, you know, locked in a cage for like, you know, 13 to 18 until they become like human beings, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, um, not literally, I hope nobody pulls that quite out of context, but, but, um, but no, I just told her, I said, yeah, your, your brain's not wired all the way. You're not a, you know, you're not developed, you know, you're trying to figure this out. And then when you add into that, you know, the factors of you're in a super restrictive kind of community, so you can't talk mm-hmm. about weird things that you're feeling and, and experiencing. And then there's all this pressure. So, you know, I look back at my teen years, I used to beat myself up so badly about anything that I did wrong or any mistake that right. I made. And the reason I did is because that was better than getting beat up by a youth pastor or by, you know, fill in the blank with whoever else. Because when you went forward, it wasn't let's counsel you through it. More often right. than not, it was you failed, start at ground zero and work your way back up to the level you were on. And that's going to take as long as it takes. And that's that's really discouraging, especially when you your identity as a 15 or 16 year old, or in your case, a 14 year old, um, mm-hmm. you know, is when your identity is the church. So to lose that status is everything. I will say to give a good timeline, um, this relationship continued from like probably ages like 14 to 15. So I was a freshman in high school. He was a senior. He went away to West Coast Baptist College mm-hmm. um, His after, so I was in my sophomore year. And um, eventually um, I was actually expelled over this because mm-hmm. the person that I confided in um, decided to tell his sister and it, it got spread around like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't really familiar. I, you know, I, I don't know if you experienced this, but there was a, a fair amount of gossip but I didn't think that there there was normal levels of gossip, I guess is the right way to say mm-hmm. it, you know, teenage type stuff. But I didn't think me feeling um, the way I felt and uh, I don't even know what the word is lamenting. It was, it was very serious. Like how, how, um, what's the word? Like, very repentant. I felt, I felt very, mm-hmm. like very wrong for what I did and didn't intend to make that same mistake, but I wanted to have that accountability. And so for it to get spread around eventually, yeah. um, it was just, I felt like I had an A on my chest. Yeah. Um, and it eventually got around to the administration. Right. Um, and I was pulled in on a Wednesday night before uh, youth group and I was sat down by my principal with my dad and my stepmom and they expelled me. Wow. Um, and and so. interesting. So did, so you were at what age? You were like 15 here? Mm-hmm. I was 15. Sophomore okay. year of high school. And I, n- I already know the answer to the question because you didn't say this happened, but I'm assuming that nobody ever like reported this or like actually dealt with it. No. Um, they like to calm me down in a sense like I was and I and I was very um I thought I I might get demerits I I thought Mm. that I might have gotten 
you know, I, I knew it was coming in a sense. Um, once I found out that more than just that one person knew, um, once I had that appointment set, I knew that I knew that something bad was going to happen, but I didn't anticipate to get expelled over something like that. They said that I could maybe come back in a year. It was like a slap on the wrist. Um, they said that had it not gotten spreaded around, um, basically that it was my fault. And, and yeah, I did confide in somebody, but that was the culture that was pushed. What do you mean when they said um, if it hadn't been spread around? Are you saying that they would have been a lesser punishment if it had just been dealt with with That's just why. you? Yeah, like they were, they were going to push it under the rug had yeah. no one found out about it. But because people found out about it, they now had to expel me. Because I couldn't have you saying there's an example of someone who got away with it, basically. Yeah, exactly. Right. But right. I'm sure the but, but guys got away with whatever. Sure. Time, so. Sure. Do you, um, I know obviously you don't have to give a name or anything, but do you know if the guy that was involved, is he still doing like ministry stuff? Do you know anything about that stuff or? So that's kind of why I decided to come forward. Um, so fast forward i'm in therapy you know this past year Hmm. um and i know now um in in this last year i found out that i was not the only person that this guy was doing this with um there were other girls in my grade that were even a little bit younger than me that Hmm. he was doing this with um and he went to west coast um he went and he you know he's married he has kids now and he currently works for that same school. He, he wow. teaches at the school that that all happened. So they're fully aware wow. of what he's done. Um, and I, I honestly don't even know how I feel about him because I almost feel as though he's a product of his environment as well. Hmm. Um, I have very mixed feelings about like it was wrong, but I think the, the environment created that in him you know what i mean like his parents um his well his dad was a deacon for the church Mm -hmm. um and his grandfather was a senior pastor at the church and um they were very very strict and um a lot of the things that um, this person would, would talk to me about as far as uh, things that were going on at home were very extreme, hmm. uh, in my opinion. Um, like, what, like I was friends with his older brother, too, um, and his dad had him cut grass with scissors at one point as a punishment. Hmm. Just like very extreme legalistic type uh, people. And, and, and in that environment and just... Um, I don't know. I've, I've tried to look at it both ways, like through that lens of, well, had I not been kind of pulled out of it when I was, or when I, you know, I cleared or whatever, like my, my brain cleared, so to speak, like I might've turned out way worse too. No, I don't know if that makes sense. No, I, I understand that it's, it is difficult. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it, it all goes back to, I mean, many things can be true. You know, there's, um, you know, I think, I think that yes, our environment can shape us, but then also too, you know, we have to make you have choices, to take accountability. you know, so it's, it's, yeah, many things can be true. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to think about. And, you know, I mean, obviously with, um, 
you know, I, I think the, I think the balance there is, you know, we have to, you can't negate the responsibility, I guess that there's that personal responsibility. And so, you know, that was one thing um, you haven't gotten to these episodes yet, but, you know, talking about, you know, um, talking about people like Jack Scott and, 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 you know, people, I'm just looking through a bunch of stuff now and so many people were defending him saying, oh, he was under so much pressure. He was under financial pressure and this yeah. and that. And it's like, well, the economy doesn't, you know, a bad economy doesn't make you, you know, a rapist. <laughs> like it doesn't, right. That's very it, true. it doesn't do that. Um, you know, can a culture where you're, you know, a hyper, I think the IFB is a very sexualized culture and I think Agreed. that it's very, um, restricted, and I think that it does lead to these mm-hmm. implosions. Um, but again, the person who implodes is responsible for their implosion. So it's kind of a yeah. it's kind of a mixed thing. But I, I definitely understand what you're saying, um, and it is scary to think about. And I, I think it falls for me. I think where it falls in line more is, you know, the people who do cover up for these things and mm-hmm. who do truly believe. And they're dead wrong, but who truly believe that covering things up is good because it's going to protect the ministry or the mm-hmm. cause or, you know, any of the buzzwords that they throw out. And, you know, I just, I look at that, I'm like, man, I could have easily been one of those people. I could have easily right. bought into that. And so it's just tricky when you get into the idea of like brainwashing and, you know, mm-hmm. group think and you know when you believe it's us versus the world and this is going to make us lose a b or c it's tricky but um yeah i guess i'm curious when you when you talk to the other people who had similar experiences what are their kind of thoughts on it is it something where they are like in retrospect how did nothing happen how did this not become a bigger deal than it was um so i've spoken to other folks um Actually, you do have an interview scheduled with one other gal that went to the school there. Um, but I, I've spoken, I have not spoken to the same, um, the the victim that was uh, dealt with my abuser, so to speak, hmm. or or the person that, that that happened with. I don't even know where, where to categorize him. Again, I'm still kind yeah. of pulling everything apart. And this um, is just for people listening, like we had talked beforehand, like this is pretty recent that you've talked about any of this. So there's a lot of yeah. processing that's going on and a lot of, a lot of thinking through the situation. Absolutely. Um, I had a good friend um, that came over this past summer um, that I knew from this time in my life. Um, and her mom was on staff there. Okay. And um, so she kind of had some inside knowledge about what was going on. Hmm. And that's how I was informed about this other person um that was that also had things happen to them um and i guess the staff member pulled her youngest daughter out because she's like i'm not having this guy Mm. teach my daughter he's a pedophile why are you having him teach here right um so that's kind of how i was made aware i haven't made contact with her i well i tried but she did not respond to a Mm. message so i was just kind of you know, trying, trying to see what she had to say, if anything, but uh, right. didn't really anywhere, which is understandable. I know it's tough to talk about. Right. Um, so I guess, I guess my question for you would be, what are you hoping for in the next, you know, looking into the next couple of years? And now you're kind of, I mean, obviously in this process, you're trying to think through like 
belief systems. You're trying to think through process, like experiences that you used to kind of put under this umbrella of like, oh, it was, you know, normalizing things that shouldn't have been normalized. Um, what's kind of your, your goal over the next, you know, couple months and, and years, like as you're trying to kind of move forward and grow and, and, you know, kind of process all of this? Um, I'm just looking for truth, whatever that truth is. Yeah. Um, over like the past few months, as far as like COVID was concerned and all like the political stuff that's been going on and, and everything that's like been causing, um, generalized anxiety with the greater American population. Um, I've kind of examined a lot in my life. Um, I got very, very concerned about the end of the world. Hmm. Um, that's, that's like a deep seated fear that I've had, like, even as far back as when, um, Trump started that stuff with uh, North Korea, um, and and them going back and forth on Twitter. Like every time I saw one of those little, like, uh, they're like pesticide things in the sky. I freak out. It's a nuke because that's the level of like truly terrified that I was, um, because I didn't really have all of my beliefs settled in my brain. Yeah. And they put such, such an emphasis on, well, beyond a shadow of a doubt, do you know that you're going to heaven? No. I don't know if you've ever heard that terminology. Or yeah. yeah. like, are you, are you for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt? That's a lot of pressure for, for a kid or a teenager. Right. Like, and I don't know. Taught that, like, it could be any second could be too late to figure it out. And yeah. you know, any second could be the beginning of this horrific end times event. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I think it's, it's, it's when that's used so much to motivate you to take action. Like it's, mm-hmm. you can't think clearly because you're just in a panic trying to do something <laughs> to make sure that you're, you're set for whenever it does go down. Yeah. Right. Did I mean that prayer enough? You know, right. how, many, how many, you know, ABC, you know, please come into my heart prayers. Did, did you say, you know, right. did you mean and it all enough? Of- did you say exactly. it fervently enough? And um, yeah, I, I guess, um, no, I think that's really interesting. It's interesting. I mean, obviously talking to you so freshly thinking about this stuff, but I, I guess my question would be, um, was your was your experience in the IFB limited to this specific church or did you end up like pursuing any other churches going to Bible college? Did you, or did your journey kind of end once you, once you graduated? Um, so when I was kicked out of school, um, I continued to go to the church for a little bit. Okay. And as, you know, time went on, um, you know, I got a job outside of, you know, the regular, um, church group of people. Um, I did have experience. My, my brothers did go to West coast, um, Baptist college. So, you know, there was a lot of that around, um, so to speak, my family but I never went to Iowa college. Um, I intended to, but after all of that, I just kind of fell away from it and didn't really know where I stood and kind of put it on a shelf somewhere and just didn't want to touch it because I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, it was like, I was afraid to move away from this place, this IFB place. Cause I thought that was the only way to be, you mm-hmm. know, that's, that's the only correct way. We only have that truth, you know? And um, trying to read the King James Version Bible by myself, forget that, you know, <laughs> how, how, am I, how am I supposed to figure that out? And, and the, then I didn't want to follow somebody else's teachings because I was already questioning. So it's like, how do I study the Bible? Where do I even start? And what's truth? 
Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I left it. And only now, um, like in my, I'm, I'm 24 now. So in like my early twenties now, that's when I really started to think about, well, what is, what is the meaning of this? And, Mm -hmm. and what do you really believe? And, and why do you believe that? Is, is there a good reason that you believe that? Yeah. So. Yeah, that was a big stage I went through um, when, when leaving kind of the IFB world was, uh, you know, I, I found myself in a position where like, is this legit? Is there any part of this? And, you know, I, it really kind of kicked off a, just a, I mean, two year kind of just study session. Um, and, you know, I say two years, but two years intense study session of just what do I actually believe, you know, and, right. you know, I, I, I just always said, like, I was just kicking at the floorboards. Like I've, I've, built this house. I grew up mm-hmm. built up in this house. And it's like, I'm going to kick out all the floorboards and whichever ones stay put, you know, I'll keep and whatever right. ones just smash through. And, you know, it was a lot of studying, you know, where does the Bible come from? Where does this right. come from? What, you know, all these things that you take for granted is the King James Bible specifically different, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that, I'm nowhere near the end of my, you know, journey because I'm 25. Right. So I'm a year, I'm a year older. Um, and, I, you know, I think you spend your whole life narrowing down what exactly is truth. Mm-hmm. But I know for me, it was, I mean, I'm just glad I did it. And that's, that's where I struggle. And and I've, you know, I've said on the show, like, I'm a Christian, like, I, mm-hmm. I still, in many ways, am Orthodox Christian, believe many of the right. same beliefs, uh, think they're way off in a lot of ways. But one thing that I just never wanted to do on the show is like, tell people like, oh, you need to, you know, just, just push through, force yourself to think one way or another, because at the end of the day, I think one of the big reasons that there was this identity crisis leaving the movement is Mm -hmm. because you're forced to just suck it up and act as if you believe, even if you're struggling with it. Yeah. There's no questioning it. There's no, well, why, why do we do this? Well, and then, and then if you ask why it's always, they tell at, at my church anyway, they did tell you an answer but it was always very abrasive. Like, yeah. like, why are you questioning this? Right. Yeah. Um, particularly the kids we were, I would say that our camp, we were 50, 50 West coast and Pensacola Christian college. Okay. Um, there were a few people that might've gone to Bob Jones. Yeah. Um, so it was all kind of pretty well divided, but we were never quite as crazy as Heil, so to yeah. speak. Um, and and when these kids would come back from, from college and, you know, they're helping out in the youth group or whatever. And we ask a question, well, blah, blah, blah. And just like, yeah. start like spewing Bible at you. And it's like, bro, it's just asking you a question. Right. But that goes back to, I mean, the Bible college students are taught the same thing. They're taught, they're not right. taught to engage. They're taught to, you know, defend. <laughs> like that's, regurgitate. Yeah. Regurgitate and defend and, and just mm-hmm. state your position louder than the other person. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, I think at that point, even from a, taking it from a theological perspective and taking it from a perspective of actually wanting people to believe in a certain set of doctrines, mm-hmm. if someone's doing it and they don't believe it, it's of no more benefit to anything. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's no, and that's where I really, that's just where I really struggle with conversations. This is totally just like a rabbit trail from like what I normally talk about on here, but um, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're bringing this stuff up, but it's like, that's when Christians get into the conversations of, you know, 
well, I don't necessarily agree with what, you know, so-and-so does or this does. Right. And, you know, I, I understand it, but I think sometimes we get so caught up in that, like, do I agree with what they're doing? And I mean, I, I guess where I sit is like, I think you can have the discussions. If, if someone's open to it, I think you can talk about it. But mm-hmm. ultimately, like, I don't want someone to go through the motions of living out what I agree with just because right. it will make me comfortable. Like I want someone mm-hmm. to do what like follow in accordance with what they believe in. And I hope that, you know, the, the Christian side of me and someone who actually does get excited about this stuff is like, I hope that they'll, you know, ask or have a conversation and mm-hmm. also have that conversation knowing like my ultimate goal is not to just sit there and, you know, have a conversation with you just because oh I want to convert you you know what I mean like right you like, have actual motivations like I'm interested in this human being right. I, I want to have you. this conversation right like <laughs> I care about you know did you get that raise I care about did you are you are you healthy are you mm-hmm. and you know even this conversation like you saying like oh I'm working through I'm questioning a few years ago I would have been like well do you want to make sure today you know, and walk you through mm-hmm. that same prayer. You already know you've prayed 20 right. times. And so I, I think what you're hearing is so important, but again, it's, it all keeps going back to pressure. It, it's, right. can we, can we discuss, can we grow? Can we learn? Can we circle closer to truth without force, you know, force feeding somebody right. what we believe? Yeah. I think, I think that level of uh, that pressure that we just keep talking about is, it created a level of anxiety in me that Mm -hmm. like, I don't think I don't, it is translated into a lot of other places in my life. Um, And I think the not questioning and just kind of accepting um, things for what they are um, has kind of like, it kind of opened harmful doors in my life, so to speak, Um, kind of like opening the door to other forms of abuse Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, um, like I was in a relationship for three years that was not, um, healthy in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up getting a restraining order and, and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, and I hear this reoccurring theme on the podcast that, you know, these people, um, particularly women, but I know men can be abused too. Um, you know, they get away from this one, this cult, and then they get or or whatever you want to consider it and then they get towards something else that's completely dogmatic and unhealthy as well because that's all they're used to you don't know what a healthy relationship looks like there is no sex ed in these in these um um schools and and you know abstinence is the only thing that's preached and i understand that that ideal is fantastic and wonderful but you also need to know what something healthy and unhealthy looks like because right. otherwise, how are you going to know to say mm-hmm. something? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think you're kind of setting yourself up for failure and opening, opening the door and creating a hotbed for bacteria of mm-hmm. the IFB people yeah. that to just get gross, so to speak. I don't know. That's yeah. the best way to say it for me. I don't know. Well, well, speaking of healthy and unhealthy, I usually wrap up every episode with this question. Um, and I'm, I mean, obviously we've talked a bit about the, you know, pressure, the cultural pressure, Mm -hmm. the, you know, um, a little bit of cover up and things like that, and just trying to ignore certain issues. Um, I, I guess my question would be, you know, when it comes to the IFB, do you think that there is a way for that movement to kind of redeem itself to change for the better 
Um, or do you think it's something where, you know, the way that it's structured just doesn't lend itself to that kind of change or to any kind of positive direction shift? Um, I don't like to speak in absolutes, um, because I know that there are a lot of really good people. Um, actually, um, I, I called my, uh, one of my siblings, um, before I did this podcast and the Mm. event that it got back to him, um, just because he's very IFB. He just graduated from West coast and, um, you know, he has very pure intentions. I know, I know my brother. Um, and, you know, I know that there are very pure and, and good hearted folks, um, that helped me along the way, um, you know, in certain times of need and, and things like that. But I think that, um, and, and not to get political, but in, in the same, the same concept that like, not necessarily all cops are bad, but mm-hmm. the system itself yeah breeds a certain breeds a certain result i Mm -hmm. think that that's very similar with the ifb um you know whether or not you believe that you know ideology about cops that's what i that's what i'm kind of saying with the ifb and that there are good people but the system itself just kind of makes it very difficult for very good results to happen Mm. um and the silence um and being afraid to speak out about certain things and the, when you aren't able to question things, that means that there's a lack of communication and dialogue with your superiors, with your youth leaders, with your parents, depending on what family you're from. Mm -hmm. And so all of that together kind of um, encourages silence among victims, particularly young ones Mm. and the fear of, it being out there and your, your business being out there or, you know, you being slut shamed or yeah. um, I'm going to ruin so-and-so's ministry or what, whatever the reason is. Um, I just think that it encourages that bad behavior. Right. Um, so I would say probably not. No. Um, I think that uh, there was, there was a guy on here that um, gosh, I think I think he was your friend um, from Louisville. Oh, uh, Joe uh, Joe Tyndall. Yeah, we did the episode about racism where we we got into that a little bit. And with uh, may, or maybe I'm thinking of the wrong episode. But this guy said that you know he he goes to a you know a, to a church. They're not IFB. They have some similarities. You know, they use the King James version oh, because they're um, comfortable. Oh, uh, John Hollifield. Yeah, it might have been yeah. the episode before that. I listened to that very recently. Mm. And um, I think that if if people from the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement, if folks that saw um, a flaw in that did something more along those lines, mm-hmm. I think that that could work. Right. But I don't think that you can still be labeled IFB. No. Um, and I will say that, it, that the church that I was at got progressively worse. I don't know if you mm. know of Lou Rossi. He was I'm, a fam- pretty- I'm familiar with him, but I'm not super overly familiar. Um, he is very, um, he was very uh, radical, uh, very much like the nationalism kind mm. of um, patriotism, worship America kind of guy. He ended up becoming pastor at the church that oh, I gotcha. 
that I went to towards the end of things. And so it just got progressively more radical. Hmm. Um, I don't think that the pastor that, that I grew up with, um, I think actually he's a very good person. He was well-intentioned. Um, I think like his family, they're good people. I just think that they were in a bad movement no. and kind of forced to follow certain rules. Yeah. No, there's a lot of good people in that movement. There's people that get upset with me who, you know, just, I mean, are rightfully so very upset, but I, I think there are good people, you know, and mm-hmm. I think everybody I've had on the show is a good person who ended up leaving because right. it wasn't a good experience. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think what you said though is so perfect. It's a good, it's a good illustration. The, there might be some good people, but they're working in their, their existence is in spite of a system that would mm-hmm. give them open opportunity to be something horrible. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I love that perspective. And um, yeah, I just, I appreciate you sharing and, and just taking time. I know that you're, you're getting through the show, you're listening to it for the first time. And I appreciate you taking the step to reach out and, and talk a little bit. And I hope this episode's going to help some people. Me too. I mean, I honestly, had I not stumbled upon the podcast, it's kind of like one of those deals where um, I saw somebody comment that I was friends with on the Preacher Voice podcast. Mm. I was like, oh, what is this? And it was, uh, it was an article about David Gibbs. And oh, I was like, gotcha. wait a minute, I know who David Gibbs is. He's, he spoke at, uh, at our church before. Yeah. Wait a minute, I know what the Christian Law Association is. And so I started like pulling that apart. And um, man, I'm so glad that I don't feel alone anymore in this. Yeah. So yeah, it's bittersweet seeing how many people resonate with these mm-hmm. stories. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you found the show and I'm, I'm really excited to, to stay in touch. And um, yeah, I, I'm just really, I'm really thankful that you reached out. That's a, that's a big step. Um, and, and can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, Please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.